Welcome to Managing Marketing, and today I'm chatting with Ben Welsh, who's the Chief Creative Officer at Doyle, Dane & Burnbach here in Australia, or here in Sydney. Uh, welcome, Ben. Um, good morning, Darren. Thank you for this opportunity, and interesting that you said Doyle, Dane & Burnbach. Well, I did say that because of the rebranding, you know, and I know you've worked at DDB, and we've all called it DDB, but uh, it's gone back to its origins in a way. Why is that? It has indeed, and it's going to be interesting. DDB as a brand is very established. Doyle, Dane and Burnback, less so these days. Um, but what we've done by going back into the past is very much to embrace the future, but through the, through the lens of Burnback. When we launched it in Miami just a couple of weeks ago, I think Damon Stapleton said very aptly that it's a positioning and a look that's kind of pre-approved by Burnback himself yeah. because it's an evolution of the original logo identity and it's an evolution of the original thinking too. Because right? I think something gets lost in organisations when the founders move on. You know, there, there's a thing about the founders' advantage and the founders in a way set the culture and the style and the vision for an organisation which over time can be diluted or changed. Is that part of the process? Was it really going back to find out what the essence of the agency brand is? I think very much so. I think I think in DDB Australia today, there is a real belief in the, the teachings of Burnback. Um, almost, you know, we're almost zealots about it. And he has he has many quotes that most people would agree on anyway, so it's quite easy to do that. And he was he was visionary. So there's no problem with passing on his teachings within certainly this part of the world. And I think, having just come back from this global conference, that that's very much true of every part of the world. It's not like we're trying to reinvent anything because it's already there. It's about refocus rather than reinvention. And it's also, I guess, finding a new frame for that, isn't it? Because, you know, in a way, it isn't the 21st century and the way we do business has changed. And yet the fundamental tenets, have they changed that much? Well, we would argue they haven't because, and in fact, there's one great Bill Burnback quote about unchanging man, that while the whole industry is focused on what's new, the most important thing in the equation is what hasn't really changed for a million million years, which is human beings. And I think we very much believe in that here. And a lot of the new thinking is based on that insight. You could argue that even the, the, the new identity, which is a, uh, a very human interpretation of the original, which was a very elegant sort of 50s type treatment, but still quite corporate so I think where we've gone to now is we've liber we, we, we've evolved that but in doing so we've liberated it yes there are versions that exist in corporate colors but it's actually two shapes and we have the freedom to express within those two shapes anything we want so it is quite a modern human interpretation of a very powerful brand because it was the sort of you know in the 
90s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and even the, the start of this century, so many agencies that we've worked for or worked against have been reduced to a set of uh, letters, haven't they? You know, you've got YNR, you've got BBDO, you, you had DDB. Um, what, what was it? You know, was it just laziness or was it somehow uh, some sense of modernity that everyone just contracted it down to a set of letters? Because in almost every case, it was almost like a rejection of the founders because all of those letters were the names of founders. Um, that's, that's a very, I wonder why it did happen because it, what, was it an industry desperate to be taken seriously? Did, did in, because it's very much like law firms or, or accountancy firms, the names of agencies. There aren't many creative names. I mean, Campaign Palace was an awesome name and I do hope someone resurrects that brand because it's such, such a brilliant brilliant name for an advertising agency. Yeah, don't don't uh, quote me on this, but I think there's a campaign palace in Indonesia. Oh, <laughs> good. All right, well. I'm not sure it's a hot spot of no, creativity, but the name exists somewhere in the world. <laughs> hopefully it's as good as the one we used to have here. But, but even that was called the palace. Yeah, well, it got short, shortened to the palace, but what a great place to work. Where do you work? The palace. Uh, Whereas most of us work for what sounds like yeah, accountancy firms and we're anything but. And funnily enough, some of us are working for accountancy firms now, but that's another Well, yeah, another we've, just, uh, we've just read that uh, Accenture um, Interactive has bought Droga 5. So, you know, it's interesting how the uh, big um, uh, management consultancy companies are moving in further and further. Yes, I, I read that and I'm told that they haven't actually bought the whole thing. They've just bought the William Morris bit. Yeah, the forty nine percent that yeah, was owned. So that yeah. was, um, yeah. Well, who can blame them? I mean, well, it won't be long. You know, forty nine percent today, ninety nine percent tomorrow. Just see how long David uh, holds out while the zeros on the check grow. Yeah. Um, multiply. Well, I mean, even Droga Five is a name. Mm. Um, interesting, a more interesting version of a name, I suppose. But uh, going back, it when you're. F like Saatchi and Saatchi and then M&C Saatchi, they, they had, had and still have the Saatchis in them. So there is a, if you have people of that name, you should use that name if they're still in the company. Yeah. I think that's your point that you made earlier. Yeah, about the founder. Where, where the founder's there. Because um, why don't we call this place Burnback? You know, mm. It's never been, even though we talk about Burnback more than anyone else, it's always been DDB. Um, the bee's been the most important thing. And this is this is the third iteration of the brand, the first that I know of, because the first time I was there in the last century, um, we went through a rebrand in the mid-90s. And then when I arrived here, the brand had changed again, and now it's changed yet again. I think the beauty of it now is when you look at if you stick the, our new identity up on a, a wall with all the competition you see very rapidly how everyone else does look like a firm of accountants and we actually look like a creative shop. And I think that's absolutely right because creativity and humanity, if they're two things that are at the heart of this organisation, it's those two things. And I think the identity expresses that really well, well. I think JWT went through, you know, J. Walter Thompson, then JWT, and then they went back to 
J. Walter Thompson and then something else and then now it's Wonderman Thompson. Uh, I just yeah. wonder, you know, from a brand perspective, you would want to have some sort of consistency, wouldn't you? At least from a creative perspective. This constantly, we treat agency brand names as if they're almost, uh, you know, consumables. We do. And I, look, I, I mean, the same thing's happened with Y&R. VML, it's or VML YNR, whatever it is. It, it's, I don't know what's going on in the world of WPP, but desperate measures are being applied. <laughs> desperate times, desperate yeah, measures. Yeah, yeah. so the, I mean, Ogilvy has lost the May there. Um, Ogilvy was definitely the more famous member of that family. Uh, names, I, Clemenger in is it BBDO does have in London their AMV mm. BBDO, so they keep they've got a different sort of culture where they keep the sort of local agency identity and, and own it and 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 merge with it very well. I think uh, TBWA mm-hmm. is pretty much TBWA everywhere now. It was Wyburn TBWA here for a while, but uh, and I mean, Wyburn Lawrence TBWA yes, in Sydney, yeah. yeah. Um, and and a long ago past was DMB and the DMB and B. Yeah, Macy's. Yeah. Remember, it was DMB and B. It was always a mouthful to say. Right. The, so everyone just called it Macy's. Well, I, that was early on. Darcy, like, Macy's, Benton, and Bowles. That's when I was right at the beginning of my career, and I had no. I I would get Macy's and DDB mixed up all the time. <laughs> um, I didn't, and Ted, but maybe because Ted Horton had been at DDB and then he went to Macy's, so that might have been why. And they're also both on um, what's called Bullshit Boulevard yeah. or St Kilda Road, so you know the, the offices in Melbourne weren't far, that far away. They weren't, but uh, and then there was a what was a Lintas up here. That's gone. So no, the the agency landscape has changed massively. I guess it would be difficult for grey advertising to go back to their original roots because you know what the name of grey was originally? No. Fats and Wallenstein. It was started by two really? good Jewish boys on Madison Avenue who during the First World War, I think it was, and there was a anti-Jewish sentiment, so decided to drop the name and change and the name grey. to grey advertising. Worked for them. <laughs> but I'm not quite seeing WPP go back to calling it Fats and Valenstein or Valenstein well, and Fats. Are they wireless plastic or so? What's Why, yeah, wi- wires uh, and plastic, plastic products, yeah. yeah. So it was a firm that made shopping baskets, yeah. Mm. What's in a name? <laughs> exactly. Well, I think you, you make a meaning from a name, but it's interesting because, you know, creatively – we do spend a lot of time with our clients getting the names right or getting the meaning of the name right for the consumer. Yet it, I'm wondering the thought process with going back to Doyle, Dane and Bernbach, what, was, what drove that? I think it was, it was a, well, very much to get us, our own internal audience to refocus on what's important um, and then to have a conversation with the world about what we consider to be important. And I think that is very much about having creativity and humanity at the core of what we do. Um, we, we talk about, um, well, and based very much on the insight of unreasonable man, that man is, is incredibly unreasonable. Most decisions are emotional. And we've, we've used, Leif Stromness has driven this really from Sydney, but globally, 
this new thinking, drawing on uh, the learnings of Daniel Kahneman hmm. and various other people. Yeah, behavioural economics, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that what, what's really driving people's actions. And you go back to, we're just, we've got to treat humans like humans. And it, the industry hasn't been doing that. It's been getting excited about new technologies, new media opportunities, um, programmatic, what the fuck? Does, I mean, programmatic is like, I, I can remember EDMs, like everyone wanted to, no, DM, people wanted to get less than two cents to send something. So you, you spend all this money and you're getting a tiny response because you've made the interaction so incredibly boring. Mm. And it's like trying to get people to run double page magazine ads and they talk about, oh, you run a single page, people will see it twice as often. To my mind, people will not see it twice as often because because you lose the impact. So, Well, that's when you're reducing the whole process to a formula. And yeah. I think... Uh, I think it, w it may have been one of Bill Bernbach's quotes, which is, you know, people talk about the art and science, but persuasion is all art. Um, so the science part of it, it needs to almost take a secondary or support role there, doesn't it? I think very much so. And, and, and it is, look, there is, there is some logic in what we do, it's, which is, funnily enough, we've been talking about this phrase logically illogical as a way of helping us get to the right answer. And I think that goes, you, you can't just absolve yourself of any rational thought. You need, you need to get to a place and understand that it's the right place. But getting there can be an interesting journey. And I think once you're there, the things that we react to are inherent, inherently new, which is why we're excited about them. Yeah, um, Dan Errolly, who's a um, behavioural economist, uh, calls it predictably irrational. Yeah, well, that's yeah, a... the, that human beings are by their nature irrational, but the beauty of it is that they're predictable in the way that they're irrational. And that, that's our challenge, though, is that we need to reach people who are unpredictable to define predictable outcomes. Mm. And, that, and that is a challenge, and creativity is obviously a very large part of that. So it's good that you brought up creativity because uh, you wrote an article uh, in Campaign Brief about... You read it. Yeah, creative <laughs> leadership um, or leadership in the creative area. It's interesting, isn't it? Because one of the points you make is that uh, very few creative leaders such as yourself get any formal training in how to lead. In fact, I think most people, you rise through the creative ranks on your skill set as a creative person rather than your skill set as a leader. Yes, and I, th I think it's kind of inevitable but I don't know that it's the best best way to um, to find leaders I, I I've worked with some absolutely brilliant creatives who are far better than me at copywriting and coming up with ideas but they they haven't been good at doing that in others so I think one of the steps that you have to make is that you you cease to be finding it in yourself you start seeing it in others and you become a nurturer as much as anything else and you identify the things that are that that have possibilities and then you help help them sort of come i was talking to Lindsay about this the other day and we we were talking about flowers and you know, i brought flowers up but it struck me that 
we you could liken a creative agency to a um, not a florist, but someone who grows flowers. What are they called? Well, we, I, we, I <coughs> use the term people growers. Okay. You know that yeah. there's you you meet people in uh, in life that actually nurture and grow uh, other individuals around them, and so I think uh, that's very similar in the metaphor that you've well, got. I think it's absolutely right. And I, I'm an, I'm quite I, I'm very grateful to those who've helped grow me, and and I'm very proud of some of the people that I feel I have have grown. And I think. It's almost a daily thing that you actually, you look at something and, and you just suggest a change and someone's learned something, hopefully it's got better and, and we're all, we all keep growing. There, there is a slight challenge with that because you want to grow their careers as well, but at the same time, you don't want to lose them. And there are times when people need to move on for their own, for, for their, for their own um, career as well as... Or, or you, you nurture them so well they replace you. <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. But that, that's the old thing about hire people that are better than you. And I think you, you do want, you need to do that and you need to have that sort of pipeline where you know that we used to talk about being who, if, if you get hit by a bus, who's going to pop up? Yeah. And I think I don't want to get hit by a bus, but I, I know that right here, I, uh, I I feel quite confident that if I am hit by a bus, there'll be um, that one that there'll be a, a there's three a pool of people talent, yeah. who who could look forward to replacing my bloodied corpse, and um, <laughs> as long as they're not driving the bus, yeah, well, exactly. And I, I mean, obviously, obviously, one's pushing you in yeah. front, one's driving the bus. <laughs> yeah, and obviously, Tara Tara Ford's, you know incredibly capable so yeah. we are blessed in that respect so it's interesting because my career uh, as a copywriter um i learned from some terrific creative people uh two ways one is i learned from terrific creative people because they were terrific and they would share and then i'd also learn from people that were amazing creative people but horrible horrible managers um, and i'd learn how not to do it in the negative i think that's Often the better lesson. I mean, I, I the, the the lessons you probably remember most are the ones that are how not to do it, and perhaps the how to do it ones are the things that just soak into your skin. And I can remember, I can remember what I was such a fucking asshole was. I think I, I certainly <laughs> was a fucking asshole when I was a junior copywriter, and we and my partner would just just give pretty much all the suits, no matter how, how important they were, shit, and, and say, no, this is the idea because our creative director had said this is the idea. Now, our creative director was not someone who'd survived today because he, I mean, he ended up headbutting a client. So you, you don't, you should never do that, but you certainly don't do that today. Not a long-term career strategy, no, is it? No, not at all. We're, we're talking here about leadership internally. Do you think today, more than ever, there's a role for our creative leaders to also be doing more externally? And what I mean by that is outside of the agencies into industry. And, and look, I'll, I'll give you the reason why I think this is that 
everyone's talking about innovation and creativity as the way of driving business and driving you know society and yet we've got these businesses with fabulous creative people that are largely wasting their time criticizing each other on anonymous blogs whereas they could be turning that to actually contributing to the conversation about society and the role of creativity and innovation in society the 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 agony of taking a risk the the courage it takes to put up a new idea and stand by it um well i suppose you need yes yes i i think we there, there are big. There are some big egos that do think about themselves and their career and that. But primarily, our our role is we're here for our clients. I mean, the notion of an agency is very much we're, we're agents on their behalf. So, inevitably, our most of our focus goes into what they need and how we can help them. And every now and again, I think we do come up with ideas that can help society. I I wrote. Last year I wrote something, I can't remember where, but it was actually about how advertising can help combat terrorism. Because terrorism is essentially a brand finding a target audience and convincing that target audience that that brand is for them and getting them to act and behave in a certain way. So if you understand that, then you actually start thinking about how can we how can we work to stop that? And I, I, I think some of the smartest people I've ever met are found in agencies, but we don't use our brains to solve problems that exist beyond, beyond our clients, beyond our daily lives. And I think we could, uh, and maybe we should, maybe there should be some sort of organ for that. Uh, and maybe that's what, I don't know, whether, it's not something comms council would do, but there is a, Maybe we just create, we go out for lunch with some creative leaders and say, we need to start solving more problems. Or whether it's just that individuals start standing up and saying, you know, this is what I think. This is a solution to a problem. This is a, a different way of looking at the problem that we've always had. Because I think one of the things that we see in society today is too many people that go one plus two equals three. Three plus four equals seven. You know, it's just this very mechanical. Whereas one of the great things about the creative process is you go, yeah, one, three, seven, twelve yeah. looks like a good number. <laughs> yeah. Let's see if that works. I, uh, yeah, I totally agree with you. I'm I've, not saying that as like you just make it up. The creative no, no, process but, is about but, finding new ways of doing things. And when, you know, because my favourite quote, and it's not a Bill Burnbuck quote, is actually uh, Albert Einstein who says insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different outcome. And one of the things I love about the creative process is you are actually anti-doing the same thing over and over again. In fact, the antithesis of being creative is doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah. There's another, I, I, I heard this recently, I think it was an Einstein quote too, that creativity is in intellect playing. Mm. And I thought that was that's just such a beautiful expression of that. But I, yeah, we should. I, I just I wonder remember, why we don't have that leadership. I think it's because we focus, like we, we have two focal points. One is our clients, what, what we need to do for them to build their brands, to grow their business. And I think the other thing is our careers. 
and what we need to do to manage those. And I think things go out of whack when people focus more on their career than their client. But um, the, the, the award circuit has become, I mean, it is a beauty parade, but it is important because it helps you find the best people and keep the best people and all those things. But it has become a massive industry in itself that, mm. and it's far too big and it's, it's forcing work to be about new and shiny rather, rather than enduring ideas. Because, and, and journal, I think journalism does this too, because it's far more interesting to talk about something that is a new, like a, a clothes peg that measures, that gives you the weather forecast than it is to talk about the third iteration in a long-term campaign. Mm. But the thing that's far more important to that client's growth and that brand is that third part in an enduring campaign. So we, we don't talk about, we don't celebrate the things that are most important to our industry. Well, awards have become an industry in their own right. You know, there is a huge commercial infrastructure that supports almost every, or most awards, not all of them. Some are run by industry bodies for raising money to reinvest back into the industry. How many awards do you think, creative awards do you think there are? In the world, um, that I, you could enter today, God, this month. I well, there'd have to be at least fifty because it feels like there's at least one a week that that's bothering you. There's a website that says seven hundred. So there's seven hundred awards because they're going to each individual yeah. market has awards and and Jesus. so on and so forth. So this is the size of the market in in our own market here in Australia. There are so many different awards that are either run by industry bodies, uh, publishers, you know, uh, the, because they've tapped into the fact money. that they well, and it's playing to ego. Yeah. This and is all about ego. You can milk, you can milk an advertising ego quite a long way. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of money to be earned, but we, we, we don't enter that many awards here. We do can, uh, an award. So the biggest global show, the biggest local show. DNAD, because I think it is kind of the hardest one to win. Those are probably the only three that we definitely do. And then everything else becomes, uh, so you might do Spikes because of its relationship with Cannes. Um, and other, also other ones it's just to more, see. Spikes is also Asia focused, yeah. which yeah. is important, I think, as well. Which is good for the network too. So, And, and then the industry awards, like B&T, Ad News and Umbrella, and of course, campaign brief, which mm. was great to win it this year for the Creative Agency of the Year. But those, and and unfortunately, campaign brief does not charge you any money, so there's no cost to entry. You just mm. got to put stuff together. But I look, I think the it has become a way for people to make money, and I, the the entry fees for Can this year are astronomical, and you you need to actually. Well, it's a publicly listed company now. It actually contributes profit yeah. to shareholders. Yeah. And the shareholders want their pound of flesh for their investment. And so suddenly it's the business of awards. Now, here's my, my other concern. How, how much do you think the award process reflects the diversity of our industry and, more importantly, our consumers? Because... I've had many conversations and I've seen it happen in Asia where local Asian creative doesn't get up because it doesn't fit the award-winning mould, which is largely a UK-US 
creative model? I think that depends on the medium. I think in many ways, Asian creative creativity has driven the changes in print and out of home because understanding that you can't rely on language, it's very visual. And I think when, when that started appearing in certainly DNAD and, and CAN, um, that's really rewritten the way. So I do think, I do think that work gets up. I think I, I, I remember chairing at Adfest a few years ago the the film film jury, and it was fascinating. I, I've, it's absolutely fascinating how advertising reflects culture, the culture of a place. Mm. And you would look at stuff from well, it would need to, wouldn't it? Well, yeah, but 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 <laughs> to to the extent that you could write a history based on a, a nation's advertising output. You kind of know what was going on because of what they were talking about. The Taiwan, the stuff they were doing about noodles, can't remember what, was very moving and human um, and probably would strike a chord locally. But, but look, work has done... Work that works in Australia doesn't necessarily travel either because people don't understand the brand. There is a brand prejudice that happens in award shows where if it's got a nike swoosh on the end of it you feel better about it than if it was new balance mm. just because that's a cooler brand same with an apple logo so when you're looking at an australian bank internationally people don't know those banks they don't know the brands you you do lose out slightly compared to having some global brand that people know and understand and they can look at that work and go it's a great idea and it's just perfect for that brand so we, 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 we all have that challenge, I think. Yeah, I noticed uh, you know, running uh, an, a couple of award shows that the judging panel had a particular style because people recruit judges that have won awards themselves. Yes. So therefore you're judging a certain type of person. You're judging, you're, you're getting in as judges yeah. the type of people that have won awards. They've won awards because they've done work of a particular type that seem to be good work. And I'm wondering whether there's not a need for somehow finding a way of getting diversity because is it right in this day and age to have people that have won advertising awards judging advertising awards or should we be looking at a greater diversification? Because I think this is a big issue for the industry. Ira, that would be a fascinating double-blind kind of project to actually get a create three panels actually have do the, do the way we do it at the moment which is mainly creatives who, who have won awards as you say another one could be mums and dads at home and kids you know the, the real world and and then the marketing managers because if you think who's, who's making the decisions creative directors are the ones who are actually making the decisions on what work gets up well gets presented to the client with obviously collaborating with the rest of the agency, but I think ultimately they're looking at ideas and rejecting those so they never happen and, and picking those flowers. Um, the CMOs are incredibly important too in deciding what goes up. And then the people at home are the ones who are going to decide whether it's successful or not. So th those are the three critical ones. I think what would happen would be that the ones that won, the, the, the actual top winners would be the same. Because I think, again, we, we're judging with our hearts. But then there'll be a whole layer of things that people put in um, that the industry might find, the creative directors might find sexy, 
um, partly because it's been floating around the world on their blogs, but other people might just think it's a bit niche and naff. So, but that's not answering your question. I, I have a vested interest in keeping it the same way as it is now. Um, well, everyone that works in the industry does. Yeah, but I also know from all the juries I've been on that there's an awful lot of disagreement. You know, we we just done... DDB runs its own internal awards called the Burnbacks. The two winners, there were joint winners this year, were Skittles, um, the campaign that was just for one guy, and John Lewis, Elton John. Mm-hmm. So I, I reckon those two would have won whoever... Whoever was yeah, judging. Great, great bits yeah. of creative work. But then you actually, and you look down, there were 10 finalists. There were some of those you go, I think that's a little bit self indulgent. And I didn't vote, I don't know that I voted for that. So I would think that's a little bit self indulgent. And other bits that might, might have missed out that would have got. So you think up. there's already enough diversity in the, uh, and, inclusion in the approach i don't think that there isn't enough diversity in the departments doing the work i mean interestingly that i I think within the industry there's quite a lot of diversity because you tend to have um half but account services dominated by women creativity is still dominated by men i think we're getting closer to 50 50 but we've still got a way to go clients are i think women probably we have more female cmos than male these days so I, I think the industry as a whole is quite reflective we are still very white in this country um but so so that ought to help you, you you essentially have a jury at work before any ad gets made because they're, they're deciding whether it's going to happen or it's not. a filtering process yeah so then we're talking about okay what's the best work um yeah i i would be fascinating i i remember there was some Christmas ad. There was a vote for the best Christmas ad that appeared in one of the one of the publications last year. The one that the public picked, no one in the industry, no one in the creative industry would have picked. Mm. It, it was it was a bit naff. But it does it it does boil down to the dog or baby factor. That if you do an ad with a dog in it or a baby, people are going to. It's a good, like cute it. factor. Yeah, it's yeah. why Facebook cats are so but, popular. But that's, it goes back to that whole thing about human beings being unreasonable. You, you come up with this really brilliant idea and people like the one with the baby in it because yeah. it's only well, human. Yeah, I think uh, going back to, you know, the bit about the human condition, it's interesting that, you know, human beings have a way of being and that the brands that most understand their particular audience and their fears, wants and desires... I wonder sometimes, though, because you said, you know, it's for 100,000 years, human beings have been, since the rise of the Homo sapien um, and, and them wiping out uh, Cro-Magnum and the other mm-hmm. competitors, uh, human beings have evolved. I mean, the complexity of life, our ability to deal with it, but the actual human themselves still has the same, you know, five fingers and toes and still suffers anxiety, but it's not because they're going to be eaten by a predator. It's usually because they're running, you know, something's going to happen at work. I'd argue, though, that it still exists. It's, it's still existential anxiety. In the past, we were worried about what was going to eat us or what we were going to eat or what we were going to shag. But because those and, and mm. whether whether our, well, you wouldn't worry about whether your genes were passed on, but biologically, you, you're mm. you, you're focused on that. So now. 
we lie awake at night worrying about an idea at work or worrying about a child's mental state or something. Those are, those are all existential factors that have changed, but the core, and I'm no fucking psychologist, so this, this is late night thoughts, but the expression of those worries has changed, but the core uh, reason behind those worries hasn't. And I think an awful lot of our actions I would, I would love to see, we're animals, but economics, and we, we, we never study ourselves as if we're animals. There's, there's, I've never seen a study of human beings as, as you might study um, squirrels. Mm. But we're fucking squirrels at some basis. <laughs> we uh, operate at that level yeah. at some point. Uh, ben, it's been terrific catching up. Thank you for uh, having a chat. Thank you, Darren. I would I could go on forever. It's it lovely talking to you. Uh, just one last question. Last time we uh, we caught up was at uh, Nigel Marsh's Skinny. Uh, are you planning to get the gear off and uh, participate in next year's Skinny?